Hey, here we are again with Spencer Thury. This will be our second visit with Spence. Last time we were with him in his home in Oskaloosa, Iowa. Today we are in one of our houses in Austin, Minnesota. We finally called it the farm. He's out here in the middle of the country. It's an old farmhouse that is being, uh, let's just put it this way, it's under construction. Yeah, the wind is coming through. Uh, we had a breeze. One of the blown out windows, it's really nice. <laughs> Got a breeze coming through. There's very little to stop a breeze coming through this house. Oh, yeah. It could be opened up more. It's uh, got nice high, nice tall ceilings. Yes, like tall ceilings. Yeah. It doesn't have far to go. That's all I can say. Been putting a lot of time, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this house. So. Last time we were together, we really talked quite a bit about ourselves. But that was fine because that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to get people introduced to more of RLS, Radical Life Support, Teen Rescue, than just me and Robin interviewing me. We want to bring in others that have been a part of the Teen Rescue mission over the years. Spencer started with Teen Rescue back in the mid-80s and spent three straight solid years with Teen Rescue, with the band RLS, Radical Life Support. He was with us, and then he went on to do some great work with, as a youth pastor and, and then eventually uh, becoming a pastor uh, and eventually chaplain of the William Penn University in Oskaloosa, Iowa. What I'd like to do today, though, is I would like to talk about the kids that we were reaching, those that we were going to. We did high schools all over the Midwest. Spence, you and I even hopped on a jet and we took off for Oregon, yeah, and did a couple schools in Oregon. The, one of the names Oregon. of the schools Oregon. that, uh, yes, and, and as you say that, I only assume that I must not have said it the way you did, and if I were to try to repeat the way you said it, it would probably Oregon. still come out the way that I say it, Oregon. because I, my whole life I've just always said Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, I'll, uh, it's Oregon. I spent uh, four years living in Eugene. So you got corrected many times, or uh, enough to where eventually you said it there. Because when the first guy I met when I got to Oregon was a guy named Rodney that lived down the streets. So he said, he said, now if you like Eugene is where all is where old hippies go to die, man. We were blown out Volkswagen bugs, and I mean, classic Eugene is a purple school bus with the Chevy van welded on top of it. It can't get out of the city because of the bridges that have been built since it was so. It's just like moves from farm to farm in town. That's Eugene. The stuff that comes up when we bring up just Oregon. Oregon. So you and I went and did a couple high schools, and we spoke in a church out there. I want to see if you can remember this. We got up, and we were on our way to preach and to sing at a church, and we were alerted by the people we're yeah. staying with. I know where you're going. That their house had, had been, been graffitied, vandalized yeah, the yeah. night before. Satanic symbols. Because stuff. of our being there, we were being told. It was because of us. That's what I remember. Oh. But again, I'm thinking back 30-some years, so maybe you remember better than I do. Do you remember what was painted on the side of their house? I think there was probably a upside-down crucifix. or I, you know, I, really... I have the picture. Okay. I have a picture of me standing in front of it, pointing at it. And uh, let's oh. just put it this way. I cannot I say the word on air. When stuff like that happens, I'm weird. I'm kind of crazy like that. But it's like, okay, now I know we're right where we're supposed to be. Yes. I think there's a CT stud quote that's, uh, not build a church within the sound of church bells. 
Some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I'd rather run a mission just a yard yeah, just the yard of hell. There you yes. go. Right. A W Tozer. Tozer. Okay. I, I believe that was A W Tozer. Was stuck, but it's okay. Sang later by Steve Camp in his song that I can't remember the name of. Okay. So anyway, you and I uh, did high schools all over the country. I mean, yeah. we did it in. We went into Canada. Canada. We got arrested. We crossed the border. It was good. Yeah. Got pulled over. Yeah. Uh, we didn't. Do, we didn't do jail time. <laughs> So we've been all over, but let's talk <laughs> a little bit about the kids that we went to. Oh, I met some great kids. Public schools all over the country. But the ones that stick out probably the most to me during the first three years when you traveled with us probably was the schools on the Indian reservations. Yes. Those stick out because not many groups and speakers were asked to come to the reservation schools. And here we are doing school after school on the reservations. And typically when we get asked to do one, all the rest of them would call and we would end up doing all the reservation schools. And I'll never forget doing one school in particular on a reservation because we were asked back to it eight times. The wellness coordinator. There. Wellness coordinator brought us back oh, yeah. eight times. They went and found money to bring us back to teach a class. Every month. We had to have enough material. Every month, every month, enough new stuff. We oh, went, yeah. to, and that was Eagle Butte. Yep, South Dakota. I did their graduation. I went back and, and spoke for their graduation ceremony. As I was finishing my talk to them, I was given a athletic jacket, a, a, what, I, what I call the jock jacket, with the Eagle Butte numeral on it, with my name and the graduating year. Beautiful, beautiful jacket. By the way, it was the same colors as Jefferson. The light blue and white. Okay. Cool. So, beautiful jacket presented to me. That would be about the closest way I'd have gotten a leather jacket for me. When you, <laughs> when you think of speaking at Eagle Butte, anything stick out in your mind about that school? Well, it's real easy. I remember walking into the schools after 10, 10, 12 hour drive across South Dakota with no AC. It is hot. And you're getting out of there, and you're looking about as miserable as you do after working a couple of days on the farm to tear the houses down. And I remember walking out of that building, and, and then walking up there, even as as nasty looking as we were, hearing those elementary school kids go, take this kiss here, take this kiss here, and the crowd of kids coming out, because I hadn't, it was my first time there, but you guys had seen it before. And I remember these kids coming out of the hall, out of the classrooms. I mean, it's like near lunchtime. And they're leaving the lunch line. It's amazing how much kids complain about lunch, but then they rush to get in line for lunch, especially at Eagle Butte. On uh, Mondays and Fridays, the kids would eat like crazy, I learned, on Mondays and Fridays because there wasn't much to eat on right. weekends. They'd come back probably on Monday because they hadn't ate all weekend. Yeah. And then you on Friday, they were going probably to a place where they weren't going to get fed much the weekend. Because yeah. they, they eating during the week, so you'd be fine. Hmm. Seemed to be the mentality. Yeah. So these kids would come out of classrooms and, and leave the lunch line to come give us hugs. Now, you mentioned the name of, of a bass player the other day. I thought there was a tall guy named John with us on one trip. He was like 6'4", and the kids, just they were jumping all of us. And so I remember turning around and seeing John on the ground, just kids just jumping out. And, and out of just wanting to connect with us, which I thought, I thought you want to connect with us, you must be desperate. And I remember this little girl, uh, everybody's getting hugs but me. And I have to wonder, okay, why am I not getting hugs? Do I stink? Yeah, do I stink? And, you know, I, do I not look happy? 
do I have a resting unhappy face? With the long hair and beard and just looking rough. But this girl just standing a few feet away from me, looking up at me. And I'm short, and so she's looking up at me. She's got to be tidy with this just blank look on her face. And I had this thought through me, what must she be thinking? What's going on here? And I'm wondering, is she afraid to ask for a hug? She doesn't want to get rejected, being pushed away. Everybody else is getting hugs. And just that moment really hit me. And I just and I had to write a song about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote a song from a, a little girl on a reservation's point of view as a, well, back then, 25-year-old guy. 25-year-old white guy. trying. Can to, you do that song for trying us? To write, sure. Trying to write a song from a little girl's point of view on an Indian reservation. somebody loves them do you see me if you knew me would you still love me because um, people that claim to know me have rejected me and I can't take that one more time so are you somebody that would love me even if you knew me and so I say that people need to hear that husbands and wives need to hear I love you from each other and parents and kids need to hear I love you Yes. And then there's that relationship with God. He's our creator. We can have a relationship with Jesus. 
You can have a relationship with God in Jesus Christ, and that knowing that we're loved on the inside. But saying that back to God, thank you, God, I know that you love me. I know, I recognize that there's evil in the world. That's what really caused me to move to God, was seeing the evil around me. If there's, if there's such evil, there must be a God that holds this in check, because what is holding this evil in check? There must be something. So I sought that out, and I found that in Jesus and that empowerment to do something about it. So this isn't about relationships. It's about that, the longing of the soul to be loved. And so I'm going to do that chorus one more time. When will you tell me I can't wait another day This hole in my heart is widening And I want it to go away Tell me that you love me and hold me the whole way through. When will you tell me I'm in love with you? Wow. We would have spent to do this song from the time that he wrote it, probably until the last concert that you ever did with RLS over those years, and then you went went out to do other things. I always knew the sense of the song. I knew the story, but never really listened to every word. Like I've listened to it the last couple times that you've sang it, just how, even though it's a 30-year-old song, songs that are really written well always fit. They fit every era. They fit every you know situation. And like you said, it, it, it wasn't about... Say, say that again. It's yeah. not about a, people would hear it and say, well, that's just about a relationship between a boy and a girl. Right. And it's not. It's about that deep hurt longing of the soul. Yeah. The relationship that you want to have or kids want to have with their parents. Right. Longing. That want, and that, yeah, that longing, that relationship you want to have with God, but you can't put words to it. And yeah. so you just stand there and just dumbfounded. I wrote that in about five minutes. I remember I wrote it, everything just came out real quick, but I didn't think this is a little kid song, and I have no intention of ever singing it. It's just a childish little cliche-filled song. Right. So I thought, I'm going to turn this over, have some little girl sing it kind of thing. I'm never going to worry about it. Right. But I remember I played it for you. What? And you were, what do you mean? You're, Rick, are you okay? It's like, oh, cry my eyes out. <laughs> so yeah, it was, I mean, like I said, it was moving because... I mean, now that I hear you wrote it in five minutes, it's true of so many great tunes that you hear people say that they wrote, because somehow inside of you, you're thinking such great tunes have to be written over long periods of time, and lots of work goes into it. They usually uh, are. But most some, songs. But some things you can work on forever, and right. it's always going to be done. It's yeah. just not going to work. Wow. Love it. Any other examples, instances stick out in your mind? of uh, young people that, that we reached. You know, after every high school assembly and at least one or two workshops that every band member ever did in, in a high school, we would always hand out the comment cards. Yeah. We wanted to hear from the kids. We wanted to know what did they hear during the assembly? What were they thinking about? Or do they have any questions? So at the, at the end of every classroom that we spoke in, We'd hand out the cards, the kids would write on it, and at the end of a day, we would have a stack of comment cards. And it was always one of the times that brought the whole band together. At some point, we'd get together and we'd just start reading through the cards. And in a lot of cases, hundreds, thousands of letters 
were written to kids. I often wonder what it would be like in this day with social media, how many more we could be in contact with, just the type of work that could be done to in helping these young people. Eagle Butte, going back to that, we had a young lady from Eagle Butte High School join us in one of our summer rescue teams. She graduated from the school, Native American girl, and she came and she was a part of, of Teen Rescue for a summer, and I think, you, I'm pretty certain you were with us. Um, yeah. That was the summer that our office at Bridge and yes. a, a, it was a kind of a rendezvous mm-hmm. thing for a weekend. Yep. At like Holiday Inn or something. Right. That yeah. was a, I was a special weekend because people like us didn't get invited to go to those gatherings like that. It was right. quite an honor. I never forget one of the chiefs from the the tribe showing up and giving us all a special license to fish that they didn't give out to many people. So we got to go fishing in ponds and lakes that most people weren't invited to go to. And he showed up and gave us this special license. Now, still have that? No, (laughs) no, no. I just right. Oh. And, and as I think back on it, I, I don't remember if we were able to take him up on the opportunity to go. Yeah, I, I just remember how special it felt to be a part, to be drawn in like that, to be made a part. Yes. And what's wild about that whole situation where we'd spoken in the school eight times is that it started off rough. The assembly was rough because it was our first Native American reservation school to ever speak in. We were a little nervous. We'd never done it before. We didn't know how they were going to respond to us. And it was rough because we typically would start the program and the energy of the crowd was there. You immediately knew where they uh, stood in terms of their acceptance of us being in the school. And you got a sense immediately what the day was going to be like. So it started rough. It started tense. It started quiet. After the first rock song, it died off and you could hear a pin drop. And it's not that I'd said anything wonderful for there to be a pin drop moment. It was just quiet, dead silence, quiet. And you were just standing in front of this crowd wondering if what you were saying was even being accepted or heard. And then for the first time in my life ever, speaking in a school, I made some stupid reference to Cowboys and Indians. And again, it went from quiet to quieter. It was not funny. It was not meant to be funny, but it just came out, Cowboys and Indians. At that point, I'm thinking, do you suppose we should just go bye-bye and go to the shop and take down our stuff and hit, get in the bus and go on to our next school, which was probably not a reservation school. But that is how it started. And then to think we were asked back eight more times that year because their acceptance of us was off the charts great. But you never would have known it from our first moments with them. I doubt I was with that first. It's possible, but I think you were. Okay. But maybe you weren't. Maybe you know. Maybe it was one of those those trips you didn't make. But you had to have been with because you wrote the Eagle Butte song. That was the first time we were there. That's, that's no, thirty five years ago. Yeah. So let's let's not try to remember everything. Yeah. It's it might it might not have been. All I know is that it did not start like we were going to come back eight times. It was like, are we going to last eight more minutes? So my point, I guess, in sharing that is that, you know, there's a lot of things in life where when you first start off with something, you may feel called to do it. You may be invited to do it, but it doesn't start off with a big fanfare. It may be a struggle, 
but you, as you struggle to get through it, probably need to keep pressing, keep getting through it. You know, it may not be comfortable. I mean, my peace level was not high at that moment when I said what I said, and it was uncomfortable. I'm thinking, I made a lifetime out of people looking at me going, who is this guy? What is he doing? And so it really, it throws me off. It's worse when it's a bunch of suits, because so, boy, those people in suits can be intimidating. Some of these others, not so much. Right. You think about not knowing what to do next. I've been thinking about the principal from Whitehorse High School. Right. And we had gone in there and said, now we're Christians. Sometimes Christian references and things come out. And he said, oh, that's fine. You do as much as you want because I said, once you get in trouble, and it's like, where else are they going to send me? Can they send me to a more remote place? So you do whatever you can to help right. whomever you can here. Good. I remember that. So what else are they going to What are you going to threaten me with? Right. And how freeing it is when people get to that place of what are they going to do about it? Right. But again, like I said last time, somebody's got to do something. Yeah. And so that authenticity, it's like I can tell this is a guy that he really cares and loves. And kids can hear the difference. Yes. Yeah, there was a, a lot of cool things that came out of going to these schools. And how many times could we say we've never done this before? But we still just never turned down an invitation to go to a school, go to a rally, go to a Mothers Against Drunk Drivers conference. There was just a lot of different things like that. Uh, how about the time we went to, I hope this is one of them that you went to us with. We did in Rapid City, South Dakota, I think it was called Job Corps. Yes. What do you remember about Job Corps? I remember that the kids are pretty rough. Rough. It was like being in a juvenile detention. Yeah, yeah, loved it. I think that the crowd was rough to win over. But again, it's like, well, what are our options? You right. Got, these are the tools, the toolbox. And until God says you need a new toolbox, you go with what you got. Yeah. I heard him say on American Idol, like, uh, Lionel Richie said, never give up. So you might be in the middle of a song, but you never give up on the performance. After Team Rescue, I did 10 years of singing on off just off Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras. Nine out of ten years having somebody be saved. I normally hate people like you, but I'm glad you're here because you saved my life. Because what you said got me thinking and changed my life or helped me to re rethink everything I thought I knew about Christianity and about people like you. So thank you. The follow-up is tough with those. So in the schools, we can add the comment cards. Yeah. Are we going off the reactions because we like the way it feels? I think we'd go through those comment cards. Right. Uh, looking for, or I did, looking for compliments about me. Did I just want to be funny or do I want to reach people? There were a few nuggets in there. And, and who was saying the things that are creating those nuggets? Right. One of my favorites, we want to encourage people specifically with our workshops. So there was workshops on doing roids and workshops on bulimia, anorexia, and workshops on abortion and recovery from some from that stuff. But I talked a lot about goal setting. To me, if you had a goal and you had a reason not to do junk and drugs. And what's that goal? And so many things in life want you to give up on those goals and dreams. And so what is that innate dream or thing that God has put in your heart? And how can we prepare and repair people to go after that purpose? Because once you lose that purpose, then you get into all sorts of stupid because nothing matters anymore. A favorite moment of mine from Teen Rescue was when a gal showed up at a concert that evening in clothes that she designed and sewn together, and she had never told her classmates 
that she wanted to make her own clothes, design her own clothes. And so she took the big leap of wearing uh, clothes that she designed and sold and put together herself. They looked great. They looked store-bought. But she was really nervous. Of, what are they going to say about my designing of my own clothes? And she wore it to the evening concert that night. I was thrilled that we're creating an environment where people are encouraged enough to go after it. And, and I believe it was a positive experience. Other kids had said, you made that? That's really cool. And then they're gone. You don't get to follow up on that later. That moment is all you have to work with. Again, encouraging people to go after those things that God has put in their heart. And then being able to just let it go. Yeah. After Teen Rescue, you mentioned the Bourbon Street, Mardi Gras. What other types of things have you done? Right after Teen Rescue, I was hired as a youth pastor. I knew that the band needed to go more heavy metal, and I can do a lot of music stuff, but I'm not very good at metal. That kind of more of a blues-based guy, so... It was a big moment. Just after I left, I did the hometown CD at McPherson Studios in Austin, Minnesota. And then I took the youth pastor job, and now what's going to happen? And all, a whole bunch of stuff happened all at once. So I got the, I started the new place in Albia, Iowa as a youth pastor. Uh, that was a story in itself. But I had the CD, and then a friend of mine from high school calls, and he says that the warm-up band for Lutheran Youth Encounter in Irving, California, had canceled at the last minute. And he said, can you come out with a ukulele and open up for the band in Irving, California? And so they flew me out to Irvine, and I did my thing with the uke. And they said, now, Spencer, the kids are connecting with you, and we love your songs, but you don't need to tell the stories. Just do the songs, and don't try to, to say anything. Just do songs, and then the band will come on. But as I normally do, I ignored them and I, <laughs> because the songs don't make any sense right. without the story. Like trying to do Eagle Butte without the story right. doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't fit what they wanted. I said, well, mm-hmm. how many gigs am I going to do with Luther and Youth Encounter the rest of my life anyway? I remember, right, that was only one for me also. And at the end, I did uh, an intercessory song that I would do. Uh, Lord, let your love shine down on me. Lord, let your love shine down on my friends, mm-hmm. you know, in this place. And I got the whole place holding, you know, all these kids, the Lutheran kids holding hands, and they were pulling people out of the foyer, because this was, Lutheran Youth Encounter was at like a big holiday inn, but there were other things going on at the same time, too. And the kids were going out, grabbing other people, and pulling them in, and counselors and teachers and stuff. And so they're all together doing this, Lord, let your love shine down. People coming from outside that were getting kind of, it's like, they're not even part of, you know, it was just, it was a big move and it was, and the band was really cool. And then I got a big write-up of the paper that I introduced my CD by a tour that started in Irvine, California. So that got a big write-up in the paper. Good, hard, hard to follow. Anyway, and then I started, so it was two years of youth pastoring. The denomination I was working for, they said, we really think we'd like you to get licensed to get priest. Could you, do you have any way of going out to the West Coast to check out the Bible College. Because they said they put me up for a week, and then there was a kid there that said, if you come out to college, you can borrow my car as long as you're here. So I got a free ride. I got a free place to stay for a week. It was 45 minutes from the coast. I'll just go out to the ocean every day, run in the ocean, and I'll check out the college. And I get out to the college, and I walk out on the campus, and I start meeting people like me who are called to do unique ministry, and then their little church sends them to the Bible college, and they don't fit in, and they're dropping out of school, and they're depressed and broken. And that is not good enough for me. Mm. 
So I couldn't shake the passion I had for these young leaders that were dropping out. So I said, fine, God, I'll go to college because I wanted to help those guys out. And I didn't realize it myself, I was burned out. I didn't have anything left in my toolbox. I needed retraining. I needed to be tooled for what God was moving me right. into. Right. So because of that, I went for a year. I was just going to go for a year, get a Bible certificate and call it good. But a number of divine things. I said, God, I need, if you really want me to stay, I need, I need a free place to live. I need a youth pastor job that will pay the bills. I need a scholarship to pay to stay in school. I need the president of the school to say, you can leave or you can go. I bless you either way. The presidents of Bible colleges don't tell people that. And so I said, fine, we'll see what God has. And all of it happened. My. So I ended up as a, I was a youth pastor for a Christian church, Disciples of Christ, for three years. So I got married before I went to college. I realized I couldn't leave Mary behind which is the second best decision I ever made in my life. First one was making Jesus the Lord of my life. Second one is the person I married. Still the 28 best years of my life so far. Went out to college, ended up staying four years, had very little debt when I got out because this church paid me way more than I deserved. Asked me to stay on this. I like it when that happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I told you you don't need to pay me this much. He said, okay, uh, that's fine. We're going to pay you more. We're going to give you a raise. And then asked me to stay as the pastor. I couldn't believe it. But God told me to come back to Iowa and pastor. God has really directed my story with, I went out, uh, God answered a bunch of prayer, and I ended up as a pastor of Riverside Friends Church. I was, one more quick story. So <laughs> I had, after two years at the Pentecostal Church, and I said, Lord, if there's a Pentecostal Quaker Church in Iowa that's open and pays a living salary, I would accept that. That was a little prayer. And then the letter to candidate for the church passed my desk. Supplied in six years, I was there. And it was doctors and lawyers and teachers and pedophiles and meth addicts. It was a beautiful mix of people. And I went there, and uh, years ago, there's a thing called the Toronto Blessing. I had blown through that church and made it this Pentecostal thing. Well, I went in and do some hardcore discipleship. But I still needed something more out of the box. So people said, you should be the chaplain for William Penn University. So here I was a Quaker guy and with Pentecostal background, loving inner city ministry and Mardi Gras. And that set me up great for higher education and, and inner city athletes. And so I had Penn for 10 years and then uh, new leadership came in and I got cut. Spencer Thurry, where after almost 20 years of not traveling with Teen Rescue, we reconnected. You had me come down and speak there at the college and we've been doing stuff together ever since. You know, there's a whole lot of distractions and a lot of things going back and forth as we record out here. This has been a great time. It's an honor to be out here. While I was at the college, we had a conference, and they always looked at Mark 4, where the farmer goes outside to sow his seed. When Jesus taught parables to the people, he, when he wanted to teach a principle to people, he taught it by stories. So I wrote a song encouraging people to tell the truth through story, because we're built to remember story. This is Seed Sown in Stories. Or is it Mark 2? It's Matthew Outside to scatter his seed. I went outside to sow seed. Whether it fell on the path or was left in the backwards, it was tossed among the weeds and land on good dirt. Those on the outside seeds are sown and stored. 
The family went some calls. The family sent someone to call him in. Kept moving on outside for selling. His words fell among men who were stolen by Satan. Some blew it up, ripped it, were choked out by worries. But the nose on the outside seems our stone and story. To scatter his seed, I am called out to sow seed. Whether it falls on the path is the least of the seed. If it lands on good soil, it grows among weeds. On the outside, seeds are stone and stone. Seeds are sown in story. So get all the windows in the day. Then we'll make it some more We hope you enjoyed as much as we did having this interview with Spencer Thurry and sharing all the wonderful stories that he had with Teen Rescue. If you have any stories you would like to share, please contact us via email at rickandrobinmoe at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Remember, you can reach us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Go ahead and search for Radical Life Support and subscribe to our podcast. That way you won't miss a single episode. We really love you, our listeners, and we hope that you are all living a radical life for Jesus Christ. Woo! Radical.